and I'd go revise my proposal. I'd spend more and more time and, and more, you know, analyzing and, and putting things together. And then all of a sudden, Lifetime TV was promoting a show and they were using words so similar to my proposal that my friends, when they heard the promo in the supermarket, they thought it was my show. Mm. So, oh my God, I see your show got picked up by Lifetime. Like, and I was what? like, what? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step -step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Victoria Lynn Weston. Victoria, are you ready to rock? I am, I am, Andrew. I know you are because we've already started just before we started to turn on the recorder here. So lots of exciting things. Well, let me tell the audience a bit about you. Victoria's got more than 20 years as an intuitive business consulting work, working with professionals and business owners, providing insight to help them make better decisions. And ladies and gentlemen, who doesn't want to make better decisions? We all do. She's an entrepreneur who loves voice technology. How can we engage our audience better as an example? She's the founder of the Studio Carlton, of Studio Carlton, which produces and develops custom Alexa skills for professionals and companies. And mom, Alexa skills is like iPhone apps. I had to learn that. So mom, that's for you since I know you're listening and you're thinking, what the heck is Alexa skills? As a producer of PBS featured documentaries, including America's Victoria, remembering Victoria Woodhall, and she loves to talk about Victoria Woodhall, which we've already started to talk about, and also the America's Victoria Alexa skill, which you can learn more about as we talk. As an intuitive business consultant, she offers a broad spectrum of insights to help individuals achieve their professional goals. And ladies and gentlemen, who doesn't want to achieve your professional goals? Intuitive insight can be invaluable when used as an adjunct to your fact and logic. When we are faced with decisions like a business investment or buying a new home, the more information we have access to, the better is the final decision-making process. She also encourages people to trust their own intuition. And a fun fact, she used to be known as the corporate psychic. She founded Ariel to feature vetted lifestyle consultants such as feng shui experts, licensed therapists, intuitive consultants, etc. Individuals can find a consultant on Ariel.com or voice search via Ariel. Positive learning Alexa skill. Wow. All right. Victoria, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Oh, about my life. Well, gosh, that was a great introduction. I know it's like life is so rich. And when you explore and do some of the things that I've done, I didn't even include screenwriting in there. So, you know, I've written several screenplays as well. Probably what I really like to do in my free time, which is not very much, is I like to make French pastries. I make French macaroons. I make French cookies, the Madeleines. I make all kinds of little French bakery stuff. And it's fun. I like to do that. But I have to say work is my passion. It's my oxygen number two next to my awesome husband. I love it. I love work, number one. But, you know, anyways, I'm totally into work, but maybe too much. That's what mom would say. 
Well, now Where's it's your time. Mom? Is she in Ohio or is she down no, there in my, Thailand? My, my mother is in, in Thailand. When my father passed away about three years ago, she came to stay with me. And so we've had a fantastic three years being together. And she had a stroke, so she's been recovering a lot, which is great. And she's in pretty good shape. And I told her, Mom, I got to leave the dinner table because I am interviewing Victoria Lynn Weston about her worst investment ever. And now it's time. To share. Oh my, my. So your worst investment ever. And since you know, no one no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. You know, as a creative and a visionary, you know, and a clairvoyant, I always have these visions and I have, I think this is this idea, it's going to work, it's going to be magical. And, you know, part of that's mixed in with intuition. But then again, you got a little bit of wishful thinking in there too. So you're kind of coming out of the gate with you know, maybe, maybe not kind of, you know, opportunities, but I used to write screenplays and I've written several of them. And then I segued into reality TV proposals. And I thought, what a great idea to have the world's greatest psychic reality show. And then I whittled it down to America's greatest psychic. Now, it's not so much that the money that's lost. I mean, sure, there's a little bit of money that's in there, but it's time. To me, the most valuable thing we have is not money, it is time, because you can't take back yesterday what you invested in and all that kind of stuff, creatively or anything for that matter. So I, I set out about six months worth, maybe even up to a year, doing a ton of research on, on the idea of how I was going to frame and do these tests for America's best psychic. And I had it set in the uh, Biltmore house in North Carolina. I wanted something glamorous, right? And so then I thought we're going to start with nine, you know, people that claim to have psychic ability, right? So how do you go test those people? You got to find the people you want. Well, I tend to be, you know, sort of this corporate type. So when you see me in person, you see me dressed in a, in a fitted, you know, business suit. And when I go out into the world of the psychic world, sometimes that's not what you're getting. And so I was about, you know, presentation and, you know, how professional they are and that. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, being a little, you know, earthy grainy and that kind of stuff. But I had picked out the, the people that I wanted to be participate. I picked out the platform. But I spent a ton of work on what kind of tests were, uh, was I going to present, not me per se, but the host of the show, to present to test these people with psychic abilities. And... I went through, you know, Zener card testing and how we could set that up, went through challenging each psychic, bring in somebody to read their minds and bring in someone to predict an event in the near future. And then also doing remote viewing, which is always a fun test because if you've ever learned about remote viewing, then you would realize that the military employed remote viewing. I think it was what they called it was stargazing. Joseph McMonigle was one of the uh, fellows that headed up that in the military for remote viewing, and they actually found a, a submarine in Russia that they was headed towards the U.S. at the time or something mm. similar dramatic in that time frame. But anyway, so I spent all this time. I wrote this proposal. It was so good. I had the visuals there. I had photos. I had the test to a T that could be done so that any skeptic, because, you know, the, the issue we had to get over was how was the skeptic? wasn't so much convincing people that already believed in psychic ability. The issue I had was how was I going to convince a skeptic that psychic ability was real? And so that was the challenge, you really. You don't and, pick small challenges, I see. Right, because if you're a skeptic in, in anything, you're never, nobody's ever going to convince you when you're done. Done out of the gate, you know, if you're skeptical about anything. But anyway, so I had this beautiful proposal together. I had an agent in Los Angeles at the time. 
his name is Jack Scagnetti. And even Oliver Stone, he has an unusual name, but even Oliver Stone used his name in one of his films. And so, because he thought it was such a crazy name. But anyway, so Jack was helping me, you know, pitch the uh, proposal. And I was able to connect with ABC producers, which is a big deal, you know, reality TV. And I was able to pitch MTV shows. I was able to pitch the game show network. I got into, you know, some pretty good meetings on that and pitching all these details. So one thing that I guess that I learned, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, is that you never show your whole hand. Mm. And being eager and excited, and it was kind of like my second proposal, because years ago I had done one about a a psychic show, detective show I wanted to uh, have produced. And so here's this proposal, America's Greatest Psychic. I'm meeting all these bigwigs. I've also got a a friend, a colleague of my agent, who also out there today in L.A., Hollywood land, if you would, they go out and do some pitches for you. And he had gone to this MTV. He's the one that pitched them. And connected with some people from, uh, I think it was Bunham Murray. Meanwhile, all this is happening and people are liking it, but it comes back to how are you going to convince the skeptic? I kept getting this back and back and I'd go revise my proposal. I'd spend more and more time and and more, you know, analyzing and and putting things together. And then all of a sudden, I think it was the summer. I can't even remember the years. It's probably at least 12 years ago now. Lifetime TV was promoting a show and they were using words so similar to my proposal that my friends, when they heard the promo in the supermarket, you know, back in the day when they'd have promos of shows coming on, they thought it was my show. Mm. So, oh my God, I see your show got picked up by Lifetime. And I was like, what? And then upon further research, Lifetime had come out with America's Top Psychic, something to that effect. Well, I was crushed. Somebody stole my idea. I was convinced of that. And so interestingly, the show aired. I gave up on mine. I basically just walked away from it. And they did have similar tests. They didn't do anything nearly as glamorous or as detailed as what was in my proposal, per se. And they went through a process of elimination. Who's got psychic ability? Who doesn't? Blah, blah, blah. It was very boring. In fact, I couldn't even watch the show. My husband said, oh, you need to watch it. You need to see what they're doing. I said, oh, no, no, I'm not watching it. You watch it and tell me how bad it was. Because you know, nothing compared to what I put into blood, sweat, tears. You know, I stopped working for a period of time just so I could focus on this. And so that was it. The show failed, bombed, never did another one. And that was the end of it. So America's top psychic versus America's greatest psychic. That's it. It's all so in the ethers cu- now. <laughs> a, couple que- a couple questions. The first question is, whatever happened to that show? Did it continue on or did it? No, that's what I said, it bombed. It bombed. got it. They should have consulted with me. In fact, when I got a whiff of who did it, Bunham Murray, remember I mentioned them, he was over at MTV that when my buddy was over there making pictures, I just had this clairvoyant vision. They left my proposal sitting on the desk, flipped through it, maybe got an idea or two. Maybe they got more than one idea or two from my detailed proposal. And I even sent him a lot of FedEx it to him. And I said, congrats on the show. If you need, uh, if I could offered any consulting participate in any way of course i never heard from him right. and that was it and uh, the other question i had is like what amount of time do you estimate that you spend on this oh a good six months maybe up to nine yeah by the time you you know you create it you go through and, and i was very you know detailed on what i wanted it kind of goes back to you never show your whole hand and since then even i have friends of mine in the entertainment business you know managers and they would never go do pitch meetings because mm. people can take your idea you know, just a tiny bit of it and then rechange it and unfortunately mine was so detailed with all the exercises on what to do that it made it easy for people to mirror it yeah. copy it adapt so, it so how would you summarize the lessons that you've learned obviously you've already said about never showing your whole hand what else <laughs> 
you can't ever really trust Hollywood. I think it's an industry, unless you're very well connected, it's not really worth, you know, stepping into. Right. I, I just, I hate to be a cynic on it, but that's kind of how I feel. Unless you really got some strong connections. And even, you know, 12 years ago, you know, managers, I mean, very, you know, highly respected friends of mine. And they said they would never go in and do a pitch meeting like that. And mm. they're at, calling him all the time. And, you know, it's really like, it's like Shark Tank for real. You know? Right. When they're, they're looking for ideas, these people. Mm. And they don't want to hire you because they've got better writers in the back room, so they think. Right, right, right. But then on the other hand, I'd say I never did again. I never did try to put another proposal together. But I always think that you always have to go for the passion because at the end of the day, it's all about where that experience propels and compels you. And what you, you know, you learn some good stuff and you learn some bad, but you can't really, you can't walk away feeling, you know, cynical or scorned because that kind of prevents you from really living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it shapes how we, you know, where we go next too. So, well, let me uh, summarize. I, what I would take away from this, one of the things, it, this is going to be a little bit off the track, but you'll see where it comes back. And that is, I'm a Civil War buff, U.S. Civil War, and I have a huge number of books on my left-hand side behind me on the, for you that can see the video. And um, there's a famous battle between Nathaniel Banks and Stonewall Jackson at uh, Cedar, Cedar Creek, I think it was. And what was interesting is Banks was not a, he was from the Union side and Jackson was from the Southern side. And Banks was a political general, whereas Jackson was a very experienced general. And Banks attacked Jackson's, you know, directly. And he pushed Jackson's troops back very, very hard. And it looked like defeat. And Jackson was far behind the lines trying to pull up his remaining troops. When Jackson arrived on the scene, the men were already fleeing. His men were fleeing and running towards him. And he, was, he pulled out his sword, but his sword was stuck. It was rusted into his scabbard, into the, the place that you store the sword. So he was seen whacking his soldiers with the side of his, you know, the scabbard of his sword and saying, men, follow me, go back. And he went and pushed back on Nathaniel Banks. And what happened was Nathaniel Banks did not have reserve forces. And Jackson knew because he knew Banks wasn't an experienced general, that that was all he had. And he didn't hold anything back to then reinforce the, the win or the attack. And then Jackson chased Banks' men about seven miles into the evening until the, the battle was won by Jackson, just at the time that it appeared that he had lost the battle. And so I think from, from that, I always learn about the idea of never bring your full force to bear, hold something back so that when you start to make some progress, you've got more ammo to penetrate and get through. And I think of that a little bit like the way you've said, you know, don't show your whole hand, you know, and, and even dripping out a little bit of goodies along the way can keep people also interested, not only holding it back so that they don't get the core technology, but also getting them excited a bit by it. So that's my funny takeaway on your story. I love it. Very well done. <laughs> Very well done. So It's great. And it's true, isn't it? If you show your whole hand, you got nothing left. Exactly. You can't be too excited or too passionate to say, hey, here's my great ideas. I want you to look at it and what you could do with this and blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Better people I, in the I've got all my notes. <laughs> all right. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Let's think about that man or woman out there that's getting ready to make a proposal of some 
idea that they have. It could be to Hollywood. It just could be to somebody that they think's really going to help them make this idea big. What one piece of advice or what one action would you recommend that they take? I would recommend if they're doing a proposal, let's say for business or something like that, then you need to go in with somebody, you know, like a, like a lawyer type that maybe, you know, they, maybe they don't know he's a lawyer type, but somebody that you could say that's, that's there to sort of, you know, see the, the conversation, the dialogue that's exchanged. Now, when you're doing pitches in the creative arts and you're writing proposals or screenplays, even for that matter, you have to have a really good agent and manager. And even though my agent was very well respected and been around for a long time, he still wasn't the most powerful. And that's where you go. And so at the end of the day, you're not going to get a powerful agent. You're not going to get a, a great manager because you are small. You know, you're just starting out and the best thing you've got is a good creative idea and a boatload of passion. And you just have to, you know, be careful. I would say today, though, if you're thinking in the creative arts, there's so much opportunity to do independently. You can use Alexa skills for this. You can do interactive, you know, content creative. You can do, you know, web series and that type of thing. And there's all sorts of things there. So that's what I would say. I would produce something that you could do in a small way, get a bunch of publicity around it, and then the people will be coming to you. Got it. Start slow, get it out there little by little, build the suspense and excitement and build the audience. Well, a lot of people talk about books. Book writing is the same thing. If you've got a great idea for a novel and that, then you should probably self-publish. Mm. You know, build your, build your community on social media, whether that's Instagram or LinkedIn for that matter. And then you sell those books. And then pretty soon if you've got 5,000 books sold, I guarantee that an agent's going to perk up and be interested in the next sequel. Exactly. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal is to create more interactive Alexa skills. In fact, I'm working on one now. It's sort of testing your intuition and clairvoyant psychic ability, Zener cards, and trying to create that for Amazon Echo Alexa. And I really would like to win an award for that. I want something to be so unique and so different that's never been done. And that's what I'm working on that people will say, I get to win a Webby Award for it. I mean, Webby Awards are nothing, but it's fun, right? Exciting. Now, I'm going to ask you, since you have knowledge that not everybody listening to this has, in a little nutshell, can you explain to us what is Alexa, what is Alexa skills, and how could the listeners to this podcast either benefit from it or contribute to it and produce content? Alexa is the voice, much like Siri is with the iPad. Alexa is the voice for Amazon Echo devices. And so... You have Google Home, you have Siri, you have Amazon Echo devices with Alexa, and they have, you know, they're way ahead of Google Home or any of that stuff. So if you don't have an Amazon Echo device, Alexa, you need to get one, the dot. They're 20 bucks, 30 bucks. You can ask simple things like, what's the weather? You can get really into there and play games. Like a game my husband and I play every night is question of the day, all about history, all about movies, all about, you know, all kinds of stuff in there, science, different things like that. And then you can also enable, you know, some of my own Alexa skills, America's Victoria, but there's a ton of third-party Alexa skills, and third-party means independent producers and developers like myself, and that's what you should be working on and be participating in, because the future is here with voice. It's all about voice-activated, hands-free, data-driven content. And you can have an Amazon Echo device in your car. Ford is producing cars with Amazon Echo devices in them already. 
And it's just great. You can also do it in the app. So if you're used to smartphones and apps in general, then the Alexa Skill app is for you because you can get you know, tips, you can travel tips, traffic tips, all kinds of things that you wouldn't get. Great weather stuff too, by the way, not just your usual, what's the weather, it's going to rain outside kind of thing. It's Big Sky is another one of my favorite Alexa skills, developed and, by a guy in Seattle. Right. I just, while you were speaking, I went to Amazon and typed in Studio Carlton Alexa skills, and I saw five different, different flash briefing and America's Victoria as an example. So this is exciting stuff. I honestly must admit I didn't know much about it. And so uh, I'm going to definitely follow the links and I'll put links into the show notes. So anybody listening that wants to learn more about it, they can learn more. Well, you said, I was telling you earlier that you should really think about having a, a, your own flash briefing. And for you and your audience, and then to engage and expand your audience even further is that people could get your tips while they're sitting in the car, for instance, on your financial investments, listen to your podcast even, and you could send them a really nifty link. You know, you could send them a text message with a, a web link, and that web link could be a summary of your show. It could be other content that you want to share via, you know, a web link custom landing page and that. So it's really cool. And flash briefings, by the way, for anybody that's interested, is really very it's very low budget to put, put that together. Getting into the robust stuff is a little more costly, but flash briefing is great. It's a fun that's, way to go. That's exciting. Like, welcome to your flash briefing for the day. Today, the Dow was down and this was up and that was this and this is what you need to know from Asia. That's right. That's right. I'll even send you some stuff. I even, I even do one for you. I'll put you one together for you. Free. You, you are awesome. <laughs> you are awesome. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Victoria, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Always go for the passion and trust your intuition. I love it. I'm raising my hands and saying absolutely yes. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.